Hey, come on in. Welcome to the Ganyu home. Welcome. You may be asking yourself uh, questions about the decor, like why are the stairs green? And why is the floor so checkerboardy? Those are fair questions, and I don't have the answer to them. We are renting, and at the same time, we're really blessed to be in this home because it's probably the nicest home that we've ever lived in. Uh, are you sick of each other yet in your confined spaces? Um, I know that there's this old TV trope, this old uh, comic book trope, uh, particularly applies to husbands about getting in a fight and being relegated to the doghouse. You've heard of this, yes? This is actually our, our dog's real house. So you could say he, he's in the doghouse. I was thinking, now we don't operate that way in the Ganyu house. Um, you know, there's not a, a Jonathan doghouse. If there was though, it would probably be down here. Ah, the, uh, the basement, the catch-all where we, oh look, church chairs even. I swear to you I'm not stealing church chairs. Um, so this is, you know, the basement where I suppose the doghouse would be, except we have a teenager, Rosa, who's trying to actually turn it into a, a youth hangout. She's uh, collecting uh, bits and pieces from garage sales and stuff left on the side of the curb, and it's, it's coming along. So it's week three of this Love Lockdown series. If you missed our last couple of weeks, what we're trying to do is invest in the lives of those who would hope to get married one day. And for those who already are married, man, you, you're in the pressure cooker, especially right now in this isolating that we're doing. So this might be more pertinent, more vital, more timely than ever. Uh, first thing we talked about two weeks ago was making your spouse your two which sounds weird, but it's actually the best thing for your relationships if you make God your one. And then last week we talked about how God is a pursuing God and how we ought to be pursuing our spouse, just like, just like we did before we put a ring on it, right? We start to drift from pursuing our spouses, pursuing them like we did when we were dating and courting. And so it's a discipline that that will change your marriage. And today I want to talk about fighting fair, fighting fair. So I have this scripture here and this one's going out to all the men. Sounds like a, a song dedication at the roller rink. This one's going out to all the men, Proverbs 27 verse 15. And this one's for you. Word of God says that a quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. And all the men said, Amen. A quarrelsome, nagging, critical wife. She's like, I can't, how do you do it? I can't even do the sound, but you get the idea. Now, ladies, lest you feel left out, this next verse is for you. Um, it's better to have severe 
hemorrhoids than to live with a husband who is a jerk. And all of the ladies said, that scripture reference, um, that's from Jonathan chapter 4, verse 12. Some of you may say, I've never heard of that book. Okay, I made it up, but it should be in the Bible. All right, how many of you have ever fought about something with anybody? Anybody even get in a fight before church this morning? Vicky and I have had some good ones, uh, some passive aggressive ones, uh, some legendary ones, ones where you only need to say one or two words and we know what we're talking about. Kicking the drywall, um, the breakup movie, um, our best friend's house, Outer Banks. Um, Vicky has this weird dysfunction where she wants to communicate in a clear and direct way. <laughs> and, uh, and I would rather speak in riddles and am frustrated that she can't interpret my vague communication. Um, look, we, we have significant fights. We have insignificant fights. We have, uh, like all of you, times of just quiet, simmering tension. Pastors fight. Elders and their spouses fight. Christians fight. In fact, just last week, Vicky came to me crawling on her hands and knees after a fight, just crawling in after the fight and said, get out from under that bed, you coward, and fight like a man. That's a joke, by the way. But the reality is, is that couples will fight. I would be very suspicious, actually, if you said you never fought. All couples fight, but what I think what you need to understand is that healthy couples fight fair. Unhealthy couples fight too, but unhealthy couples fight dirty, below the belt, jabs, sarcasm, accusations. So here's, here's the difference. Healthy couples fight for resolution. Unhealthy couples fight for victory. They fight for the personal win. In fact, there's this um, fascinating study uh, you can read by a guy named Dr. John Gottman. He's kind of a, a marriage specialist. And he studied couples who fight. And for 16 years, he watched them and he studied how they fight. And now he can watch a couple for only five minutes and determine within 91% accuracy whether this couple will make it or if they divorce. Because he says, it's all about how you fight. It's not if you fight. It's how you fight. So as, as godly couples, as, as disciples of Jesus, we want to seek God and we want to fight fair. In our verse today, I, I want to focus on a simple one that many of you will know. James 1, verse 19 to 20. Here's what scripture says. Everyone should be quick to do what? Listen. Slow to speak. And what else? slow to become angry for a man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Now just see how one verse inspired by God 
through His Holy Spirit can teach us so much, bring so much wisdom, bring healing, teach us how to fight fair. And so I have kind of three principles about fighting fair that's found in this verse. First of all, we need to stop, right? We're in a fight. Things are escalating. We need to stop to listen carefully because so often we don't. What does verse 19 say? It's very clear. Everyone should be quick to listen. But what are we often quick to do? We're quick to speak, aren't we? We're quick to argue back. We're quick to make a point. We're quick to throw a low blow in. We're quick to defend. We, and we instead need to be quick to listen. You know, don't let the, the simplicity, the power of this sort of just, you know, pass you by. When we start to fight, we ought to stop and we really need to focus and really, really hear what the other person is saying. Here's what scripture says if we don't do it. It's from Proverbs 18, verse 2, and this is what it says. A fool, uh-oh, I, I don't like where this is going already. A fool finds no pleasure in what? A fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinions. A fool is like, hey, I don't really understand what you're saying, but I'm going to tell you what I think about it anyways, right? I don't know what that accent was exactly, but that's, that's what we often do in fights. We're not trying to understand the other person. We just want to be heard. We just want to make our point. We just want to win. And scripture says that we are foolish when we do that, that we're not fighting fair. Here, here's a couple of things that I actually learned in college um, when I was taking counseling courses. And I don't always, I rarely take my own advice in this, but it works. It works. Here it is. In an argument, what we should do is we should repeat back to our spouse what our spouse just said. And what it does is it forces us to listen and then it validates our spouse to know that he or she has actually been heard, right? And so what you're saying is this, you know, you don't like me leaving my dirty socks in the cutlery drawer. It's called active listening, right? You repeat back in your own words what you, what you hear being said. And what that does is it, it keeps it focused on the issue at hand rather than escalating or fighting about how we're fighting, rather than about fighting for the resolution about the issue. And then the next step, and this is so huge, and men, especially for you, you know, is a way to really minister to your wife. Even though you're upset, even though you're angry, even though you think she's being kind of unreasonable, what you do is you stop and you repeat back to her and you can validate each other's feelings by saying, oh, I, I understand why you would feel this way when I do whatever. You know, I understand why you feel that way. And you don't have to agree with the issue, but you can validate the feelings. So what you're saying is when I left my dirty socks in the cutlery drawer it made you feel undervalued or you know and suddenly what you're doing is you're you're really keeping it on the relational issue rather than doing what we so often do in fighting we make it about semantics or about justification or some 
tangential issue, right? Stop to listen. What are you saying? I value what you're saying. I want to hear you and not just have you hear me. Now, here's the second thing scripture teaches us, and it's this, to guard our words faithfully. Guard them faithfully. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. And here's what Proverbs 21, 23 says. Scripture says, watch your tongue. Oh, me and my big mouth are going to get me in trouble. You and your yapper are going to escalate this. Okay, that's, that's a great verse. It's not a great verse to quote to your spouse in the middle of a fight but it's a great verse nonetheless. Watch your mouth. When you're in a fight, force yourself. When you're about to say something, you know, ask yourself two questions. Ask yourself, should it be said? And ask yourself, if so, should it be said now? Now, this is a point where I could uh, easily tell you a story of my own uh, embarrassing moment where I didn't use common sense when I said something I shouldn't have said or shouldn't have said it in that moment. But I've already showed you my green staircase and uh, checkerboard floor and basement, and I feel, you know, vulnerable enough. So um, should it be said? If the answer is no, don't say it because it's really hard to take your words back. And the next question is, should it be said now? Because there are some things that actually need to be said, but not in the middle of a fight. There are new issues that need to be introduced, need to be worked through, but not in the middle of the fight. You stay focused on the issue at hand and you're fighting fair to work toward resolution of that one issue. So what Vicky and I are learning to do is try and work on our marriage during non-conflict times, right? Because it's really tempting when she, when she says in a conflict, this is really frustrating me, or I feel hurt by this. And it's tempting for me to go, oh, you feel hurt? Yeah, well, what about the times you do this? And she's like, oh, I'm sorry, are we, are we done talking about my issue already? We've, we've moved on to your grievances, you know? Like, focus, fair point. Uh, during times of health, and peace, those are good times to actually work on your marriage, to, to bring up things when your love tank is, is full and your defensiveness is low. It's a good time to ask questions like, what are three things I could do that would be a blessing to you as your spouse? So, you know, we've already got positive momentum and then we give permission in a safe and loving context to talk about those issues that could actually make the marriage better. Well, to be honest, when you do such and such, it, it kind of makes me feel this way. Or when you don't do this, it, it makes me feel this way. And so we've got the momentum of already working together when our love tank is full. So should it be said at all? Or should it be said right now? Now, even if you follow these suggestions, you're still going to get into a fight. So let's just talk real practically about fighting fair. If you're dating, hope to be dating, engaged, hope to be engaged, it's a great time 
to decide on some rules for your relationship, okay? No name calling. Seems obvious, right? But you might be surprised. Never call names unless it's like your little pet love names for each other, like Okie Pookie Boo or whatever. Please don't ever say Okie Pookie Boo around me though, okay? Yelling and screaming actually isn't helpful. Have you ever yelled or screamed something good or productive at somebody? I bet, I bet you haven't. Nothing good comes from screaming at someone. Have you ever screamed, um, I'm sorry that I have not been more aware of your need for tenderness? Ain't nobody ever yelled that. So step back, count to 10, breathe in, sing a song, say a prayer, say 14 prayers, pray in tongues. I don't know, whatever you have to do, calm down. Here's another rule I would say, just suggestions, but don't get historical. Don't get historical. I didn't say hysterical. It's not a typo. Back in 1992, when you called my mother, a, you know, just don't go there. We're not, we're not keeping scorecards. So don't get historical. How about this one? Never say never <laughs> or always. Never say never or always. This is just one of the fastest ways to be offensive because never and always are just rarely true. And I'll catch myself sometimes. I'll be like, Vicky, you never, it feels like most of the time you don't, you know, never say never or always. Don't threaten divorce. Certainly not flippantly or, or to hurt each other. Just don't do it. That's a low blow. That's, that's not fighting fair. I mean, there's lots of rules. I, let me leave you with one last one. Don't ever, ever quote your pastor in a fight. Okay. But pastor Jonathan said, no, mm -mm, no, you got into the mess. You get out of it. You leave me out. Okay. I'm at home under the bed. So, um, Stop to listen carefully, guard your words faithfully. Uh, and then finally, if you're taking notes even, just write this down. What we're gonna do is we're gonna learn to handle our anger righteously. Handle our anger righteously. This is so important because uh, you will get angry. And what we wanna do is handle it being led by the Spirit of God. Here's what James 1.19 says. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and what else? Slow to become angry. That's what scripture says about God. He's slow to anger. Listen, there are some things you've just got to learn to let go, okay? If you want to have a great marriage, there are some things you just have to say, you know what? This ain't worth it. Uh, you remember, remember Ephesians? We just studied it a few months ago. And here's what Ephesians 4, 26 to 27 says. <clears throat> you may remember, in your anger, do not sin. And again, I'll say, uh, as I did back then, a lot of people don't realize, but being angry is not a sin. It's what you do with your anger. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down 
while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Now here's a, here's a scary thought for a guy like me who is, I was going to say peacemaker, but really more often a peace faker, someone who can be conflict avoidant. You know, anytime I go to bed with an unresolved issue, to think that I may have just given the devil a foothold. That's sobering stuff. Anytime I didn't work it out, talk it out, I didn't forgive, I go to bed and guess what happens the next day? I wake up and that little problem is a little bigger. And God forbid, what if some of our issues and wounds and ruts were small things that we didn't work through and over the years just compounded and became more complex? What if what I did was cracked open the door just a little bit and gave the devil a foothold? Don't let our spiritual enemy destroy what God has joined together. Now, there's one thing I don't have to go into in premarriage counseling because the minute you get married, you're just automatically infused with this knowledge somehow of how to fight dirty at night. You know, you assume the fighting position, first of all, it's called back to back. Those of you who are married know exactly what I'm talking about. She faces one wall, he faces the other wall. And usually what happens is there's a, a silent fighter and there's a huffer, <sighs> you know? I'm the silent one, I'll lay there and won't move, won't breathe. You know, I don't want to give her the satisfaction of knowing that I'm even still alive. She's more of the huffer, right? She's turning and sighing and then pull the covers over and sigh again. And then I can feel her leave, but I can't be certain because I'm still playing dead. And then I hear the toilet slam down. I mean, we have a king size bed, but on those nights you wouldn't know it because we're just hugging our respective edges, you know, just uh, in danger of falling off. And you don't want your foot to accidentally like go into enemy territory. Ah, don't do that. There's nothing good about that. In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Can I, can I tell you, it's super hard to be mad at each other when you're praying with each other. Vicky talked about that a couple weeks ago, and I hope some of you even started that practice. And listen, you're gonna be tempted to stop. Don't stop. You don't stop brushing your teeth. But even if you do, even if you miss a day, miss a few days, you start again. Nobody after two days of missing brushing says, well, I guess brushing my teeth just isn't for me. It's not my ministry. Don't stop praying. But if you do, pick it up again. So if we're continuing to seek God, it's super hard to be intimate with God and live in ongoing bitterness and unforgiveness with your spouse. So when we're fighting, we don't react with the sinful flesh, you know, fighting back and fighting below the belt. Instead, because we've been seeking God, we learn to respond by His Spirit. And there's a big difference, okay? We don't react in the flesh.
We respond by the spirit. So when you're fighting with your spouse, ask yourself, um, am I fighting to be heard? Am I fighting because my pride has been hurt? Am I fighting so I'll be thought of as right? Am I fighting because my emotions have taken over? Like, what's the objective of this fight? What you need to fight for is restoration. All right. So as we wrap this up, let me just acknowledge something for a moment, if I could, and say, I know that in the marriages represented in our church and in the marriages represented of those who are watching this, um, you know, we've got people who are fighting over things like she doesn't like the way he chooses food in public or he doesn't like all the trash in her car. And then we've got all of the way to the other extreme where she came home and saw him looking at porn or there's abuse or there's violence where there's an affair. And so there's a, there's a complexity that a little half hour teaching is not even going to scratch the surface of. I, I get that. I don't want to go by without sort of acknowledging that. But at the same time, I want to tell you that if you make God your one, if you pursue your two, if you fight fair, like I believe that these are principles that work. And most of all, that the presence of God can bring healing in any relationship. And I want to show you real briefly as we close, just four warning signs that you may actually need to get some help. And it's time to let God in for help and maybe even somebody more professional. So these are actually from Dr. Gottman and they're warning signs. And, and here's what he says are the four real warning signs. One, criticizing. Number two, there's contempt. Number three, there's defensiveness. And number four, there's stonewalling. Okay, criticizing, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. You know, there's a difference between um, criticizing and complaining. Complaining is, hey, um, you told me you were going to do this and you didn't do it, and I wish you would have done it, you know? That's complaining. Criticizing is more like, you never do what you promise to do. And um, when you find that in your marriage, there's consistently a critical spirit, like that is the beginning of a real danger sign. And, and you need to hear that. And then criticism moves to contempt. You know, there's disgust, there's eye rolling, there's sarcasm. There's just that, you know, I don't even, I don't even really like the person I'm with. And, and from there it moves to defensiveness. If you talk to him, he's like, it's all her fault. You know, she's a nag, she sabotages the relationship. And if you talk to her, it's all like, it's his fault. He's a jerk. He's got the spiritual gift of being an idiot. You know, none of it is my fault. And I'm telling you, it always takes two. And then finally, there's stonewalling, where it's just like, I'm done. I, I, I don't care. I, I'm just done. 
And, and what I, I want you to know is that if you see those things, guess what? It's really time for you. And if you can get your spouse with you to seek God, to beg for transformation, to call out to Jesus. Some of you right now, you think there's no way that this marriage could ever work. I want you to know that all things are possible with our God. All things are possible with our God. Are we going to fight? Yeah, we're going to fight, but we're going to fight fair. And we're not going to fight for victory. We're going to fight for resolution. And I believe as we seek God, and as we fight fair, and as we have fun, and as we stay pure, and as we never give up, you know, you can have the marriage that God wants you to have. Don't give up. It is possible. So when you're fighting, what we need to do is stop being across from each other on the table and come, come get on the same side of the table and say, we're not going to fight against each other. We're going to fight against our spiritual enemy who's trying to destroy us. And we're going to fight for our marriage with everything in us. So I think it's time we hear from the female perspective. And so it's, uh, it's an honor to bring Kelly Garvey into this conversation. She is a licensed counselor. So she deals with a lot of this um, in her work week, helping individuals and couples through this kind of thing. But, you know, even more than her vocational expertise, I think what's really cool is that her and Neil, her husband, have a real burden for marriages. They love marriages. They want to see them thrive. They love young marriages. They want to see them succeed. And so I'm excited to hear what Kelly has to say. Take it away. Hi, Mac family. It's Kelly. It's good to see you today. I miss gathering together and I really miss corporate worship. I hope everyone's enjoying their long hair. Um, I sure am. I appreciate that Pastor Jonathan asked me to reflect on his teaching today. I appreciate it. Um, how he normalized how couples fight. Uh, in my work as a registered social worker and a psychotherapist, and as a woman who's been married for 27, going on 28 years, I uh, can appreciate how fighting uh, erodes relationships, whether at the one year, four year, seven year, 10 year, or even 20 year, 30 year mark. Uh, uh, being able to resolve and work through fights and resolve disagreements has the capacity to disintegrate uh, a healthy relationship. Uh, marriage is God's idea. In fact, we're called the bride of Christ. The enemy of our souls, Satan, detests marriage because it's valuable to God. The commitment that we make in marriage uh, was designed to mirror the unconditional, unshakable love that Jesus has for us. Whether uh, couples are Christ followers or not, their commitment, their relationship is valuable. It means something to them, to the world, and to God. Uh, relationships are important. Families are important. I like this notion of fighting fair. Uh, Jonathan, Pastor Jonathan has provided solid biblical teaching. He talked about um, being slow to get angry, being quick to listen, using active listening. Uh, or don't name call. Pray. Don't keep score. Don't keep a record of wrongs. Um, I, I won't repeat his mes mes message. In order to fight fair, let's ask, why do we fight? I would like to suggest that we 
try to understand the data or the content of our fights. Arguments come in patterns, and when we can get a sense of our pattern, we can do something about it. Are we fighting about how time is spent? Uh, how words are flung out with criticism? How much or little work is happening? Um, how much money is being sent, spent or how little is being saved? Um, how much or how much or how little intimacy is happening inside the primary relationship? What values are being undermined? Or what boundaries are being not negotiated, stepped on, overlooked? Um, I recall an example early in my relationship with Neil uh, that we had, a, 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 we had a, and it was about car tires. Um, he made the executive decision to buy new tires for our car. And uh, I was the person at the time who was in charge of paying the bills. And we'd made an agreement uh, to discuss major purchases. And this felt like a major purchase. I felt unheard, disrespected. I was so angry. And Neil was care providing. He was doing a good thing. He was thinking like, well, the car's in for maintenance on this other issue. Why don't I get these new tires that we're gonna need? Um, so we were both right. And we had a big fight. I recall another example when Neil and I moved to a new city. We had lived apart for four months uh, while we waited for our house to sell. And every weekend uh, was a beautiful reunion. Uh, and then when we moved back in together, when we moved to our new city and reunited as a family, I was argumentative. I was critical. I was like, I don't like this town we moved to. Um, and I was jealous. He had established a new life for himself. He was fit, he had new friends, he was playing hockey, and I was sad and lonely. Uh, and it was not going well in our relationship. Uh, in Matthew 12, Jesus heals a demon-possessed man who was also blind and mute. That seems like a pretty cool healing and kind of like a big one. Uh, the crowd was partly amazed and partly critical, like most crowds are when it comes to the work of Jesus. Uh, the Bible says Jesus, knowing their thoughts, he said, a kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. We can't have a foot in both worlds. We can't have a spouse and something more important to God and, our, and more important than our primary relationship. It's unsustainable. A house divided against itself will not stand. And Jonathan has been talking about this with uh, having God as our number one and our spouse as our number two. I suggest that we should be able to depend on our primary relationship for love and belonging. We should be fighting for a marriage that's a safe place of love, of trust, and companionship. We ought not to look for that elsewhere. However, Neil couldn't meet all of my needs. He shouldn't meet all of my needs. That's too heavy on a relationship. And that has the capacity to bring about fights. I needed a new routine, new friends, and a new job. And all of this would come in time. He wasn't to blame that my emotions were distressing to me. In order to fight fair, it's okay and important even to focus on yourself and to see what might need to change in you. Anne Lamott says it really simply, peace is an inside job. 
God provides a mechanism uh, for reconciliation after we fight, and it's called forgiveness. Uh, We need to learn to offer and receive a decent apology uh, in our relationships. Own the fight. Say, I'm sorry for saying that or yelling at you or spending the money. I don't want to hurt you or hurt our relationship. I'm committed to our relationship. Would you please forgive me? And then the partner doesn't say, yeah, it's okay. No worries. worries." Right. The partner says, I forgive you for yelling, spending the money, etc. And also, it's really important to pray together. Uh, Pastor Jonathan's emphasized that. Uh, It's really important to pray together. It's hard to stay angry uh, when we pray together. And these things take time. Not all fights, you know, resolve instantly. We don't work to the end of them always really quickly. But it's important to stay committed and to fight for the relationship. Um, This season of our trial after our move and these normal human capacities, our human needs, they had the capacity to break us. It was not good. Um, It also had the capacity to deepen my relationship with Jesus, to create greater dependence on Jesus, and actually improve things in our relationship. Uh, Whether you're in a relationship or not, whether you're married or not, God can use any circumstance to create a greater dependence on himself. I just want to make a point to uh, say a special word to people that are in physical danger or psychological danger. Pushing and shoving is not okay. Mean words and put-downs is not okay. It is important to talk to someone, to get to a place of safety, and to get the, tr- get the help that you need. To find a helping professional, a pastor, or a loved one, a neighbor, a friend, or relative that you can trust, and to get um, out of that distressing situation and to get help. We're not suggesting that those kind of fights are okay or even biblical. Uh, we're talking about fighting fair and about staying, fighting for your marriage and staying committed uh, to the goal of having a marriage that's honoring to God and that's also joyful and fun to live inside of. Uh, thanks for your time. Thanks for listening. Take good care. Amen. Good word. Let me just pray real quickly for our marriages. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would give hope, that you would give healing, um, that you would bring restoration and you would bring forgiveness today as we pray, whether whether you're married, whether you're not married, all of us have challenges in relationships at one time or another. And those of you who would say, I want to be more godly in how I handle conflict. I want to be slower to speak. I want to be quicker to listen. I want to handle anger more righteously. I pray God even in your presence today, as we sit around the computer, the video screen, the television, and watch this, your presence is with us. And I'd ask that you would start to work on us. And God, that we wouldn't react in the flesh, but that we respond by your spirit. God, I pray for those who are married, that where there has been sin, there would be forgiveness. God, where there's been bitterness, there would be healing. God, I pray especially for those that feel like they're on the edge and they can't make it. God, I pray that somehow in your presence, through your word, by your spirit, you would give them hope that all things are possible with our great God. ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. This time has been really hard on 
all of you. It's been really hard on marriages and on kids and on families and probably on our faith. And so I want you to know I'm, I'm with you. I'm praying for you. We're looking for ways in the future to um, adapt, uh, not only adapt, but actually be stronger for this. And so I, I still think it's great that all across Ontario, actually, and then other parts of Canada, um, oh yeah, even parts of uh, the world, I found out, um, people are able to watch our church. Um, but man, we were never called to watch church, were we? We are called to be the church. So that's my challenge to you. Go. Be the church. Your love people. God bless.